everyone, and welcome to episode 93 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we shapeshift into avocados and try to avoid typos by using voice memos. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to being an avocado. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> And so we'll start in our usual place, which is the Apple news of the week. And it's not the busiest. You know, we're waiting for that March event to come, hopefully be some interesting stuff. But in the meantime, we found a few smaller pieces. The first is that Apple is now hiring or looking for more software engineers than hardware engineers. And if you listen to our podcast in the past, you know that that's where Apple really needs to focus. You know, iOS 13 needs to be a bigger deal than the iPhone 11 and same with iPads and all that kind of stuff. Well, and it also fits with their shift into a more service-oriented. That's where a lot of their revenue is going to be coming. So to have the software people ready to do whatever software-related things for that those various services, it makes sense that that's where they need to hire. Right, and so this is uh, a change since... So there hasn't been the greatest tracking, but... Since January 2016, they've tracked the number of listings in these sectors, and this is the first time since then that services have passed hardware. So in the past, I guess that could have been the case, but at least over the past three years, Apple's finally realizing how important services and software are. Right. I mean, and I think they just see it from a revenue standpoint, too. I mean, that's going to drive where they're going. And really, at this point, there's not a lot they're doing with hardware. There's not a, new, a lot of new innovation there, so might as well go to the software side and try to squeak out as much as they can out of these devices. Right, if only I was a software engineer. <laughs> hey, I am! <laughs> <laughs> oh, You know, it's funny, though, because Apple always talks about, you know, working and building on them side by side. We make the software to go with the hardware. We make the hardware to go with the software. So you think you would need a 50-50 split or as close as possible to that regardless. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and also, I guess it doesn't say where these jobs are, too. So I, the charts we have just kind of list the jobs. It doesn't say that mm -hmm. these are in the U.S. or where they necessarily are. So who knows where all these jobs are? They could be abroad. They could be in other countries. They could be, some of them, some percentage probably are definitely in the U.S., but I'd be more curious to see how the breakdown of where these jobs are being filled are. That, that's a definitely interesting point. If they're hiring in Europe and Asia, maybe it's a whole different kind of grouping of end game ideas versus hiring at their Cupertino campus. Right, right. But also, you know, just having the services or the hardware ties into our other news of the week. And so hardware wise, the Apple Watch is making a big kind of move in that it was responsible for half of all of smartwatch market in 2018. That's quite an achievement for Apple. I would like to know the overall watch sales because Apple loves to throw that chart where Rolex is like the only company that's selling more watches than them. I'd love a third party <laughs> to give us analytics on that. But regardless, Apple shipped 9.2 million Apple watches in Q4 of 2018. So that's just for the last holiday quarter of the year. Right, and it, there's no breakdown as far as which of those are Series 3 and which of those are Series 4, but I have to imagine those sales on the Series 3 really helped to drive these numbers up because there were some great deals to be had on that. What was still a very, very good watch, if you didn't need the latest and greatest, I'm sure there were a lot of people that jumped on those Series 3 sales. That's the one that I almost got. I, I was so close to getting one during the Black Friday. There was one at Amazon for like $199. I almost got it, but I was like, nope, nope. I know me. And, you know, if you're not me and you're not super into everything new that Apple does, it's probably not as big of a deal, but I am. So <laughs> it didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really good going forward just because the Apple Watch, you know, Apple doesn't disclose any sales numbers anymore, but they've never disclosed the Apple Watch. You know, they used to do iPhones, iPads, and Macs. And so just to kind of have a glimpse into that, it shows how well the watch is doing. And maybe some of those software hires can give a few more capabilities to the Apple Watch OS. 
Well, the question is, are they sharing these numbers now because they are so good? And like maybe the other numbers that are they're no longer sharing because they aren't as good as they used to be. And they're just using this now as an excuse. Well, we're finally going to stop reporting these. But it seems kind of odd that they would come out and now they weren't going to give numbers for stuff. Now give numbers for these watch sales uh, just because they are so good. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of leaking it. <laughs> you know, the purposeful leak, which Apple's right. done those in the past. And I definitely could see that. Or maybe this firm, Strategy Analytics, figured out something. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. And so then, you know, actually looping back to the software hires, one thing that I forgot to mention is that Apple's come out with a lot of software products that they've kind of just let lapse over time. And I think the biggest one is Siri. I mean, they've done a few things here and there with Siri. They keep trying, like, they show it events. Oh, look, we're adding this to Siri. Or third parties can do this with Siri. But it never seems to go anywhere. There's no eventual, like, commercials about it there's no other highlights it's always the new features but they never show actual features then in use by anybody right yeah i mean the only thing we ever kind of see is like voice improvements to siri they really don't they're really not pushing it as much as they when it first came out and i don't know if that's because they have a whole bunch of competitors now and maybe Siri's just not up to Alexa standards. I don't I don't know. It just it definitely seems like it's kind of been put on the back burner and they kind of release little things but really don't make a big deal of it. Yeah, the 4S, you know, it was the first year where they really didn't know what they were going to do in terms of an update because that was right when Steve left and then passed away and that was that release cycle. And I think he gave them big picture ideas where they wanted to go, but that was for the iPhone 5 redesign. And so the S, they just had to come up with something. They came up with Siri, and a lot of people who were involved with Siri, who Apple acquired, the company that did it, they have left the company. They've tried to fire or find new people. You know, a lot of those services and software hires have related to Siri as they keep trying to find people. And like you say, there's Alexa and the Google Home Mini, which... Both of those companies advertise their voice assistants a whole bunch and show it in real world, world use, and Apple's not one of those companies. Well, I feel like we see this kind of trend happening a lot with Apple, where they have this big fanfare when something's launched, they kind of make a big deal of it, and then it kind of just pitters away and they don't do much with it like Maps. Maps was like this huge mm -hmm. thing when they came out with it, and then it kind of just disappeared. Like, it's one of your offerings, but... There, now Waze took off, and now you see ads for Waze built into cars, and then you have Google Maps all uh, getting all kinds of added features as well, and kind of just Maps is sat there without much fanfare, without much ad additions to it, or like anything to really promote it. And so it's just kind of, it's something that comes on your phone, so you have it. But do you use it that often? The only reason I will use it is because it ties directly to the Apple Watch, and it will kind of give me those little vibrations as I'm doing like a walking directions. I don't need to have my phone out. That I like about it. But otherwise, as far as it's my daily mapping to get to work and avoid traffic, it's really not as good as other, as other choices. So... I don't know. I wish they would do more with that and improve that. Maybe have some crowdsourcing element like Waze has to that to help improve things or give you warnings about police cars and just something to rebring it and re-energize it rather than kind of just letting it waste away like they seem to want to do. Yeah, it seems like they're putting it out to get that fanfare and then if it doesn't have like an immediate impact, they kind of go away from it. You know, it's kind of like cbs or any of the big networks they launch shows and if it doesn't have a certain rating they like cancel it after a few episodes and apple's doing the same thing with these new product features i mean i know that both of us have talked about that touch bar <laughs> nauseum yes. at this point <laughs> <laughs> and then just also i can't even like apple music is the opposite where it did really well from the start so they keep pushing that they keep investing in that and where is this Apple streaming service going to end up on that scale? Is it going to be an immediate success? And if it's not, are we never going to hear about it again? 
Or, right, and then also with their, their news service, the news subscription service. It's come yes. out now that they basically are forcing people to, these publishers, to go like a 50% split, and they would split the other, the Apple would take 50%, the other publishers would take 50% based on what was read by the people. So you may not get, like, anything if your content wasn't actually the one that was read, but meanwhile you're still only splitting 50% of whatever comes in. So, I mean, is this another thing where they're setting themselves up for failure and it's not going to take off and then we're never going to hear about it ever again? Right. I mean, I definitely could see that. The one idea that I did see by one publisher for that news idea is that 50% of 100 million is more than 70% of 10 million. And that's definitely true. Even 100% of 10 million is just about a fifth of still 50% of a hundred million. So it all comes to that total earnings potential going up. True. True. Yeah. If it takes off, but again, is this going to be Apple really promotes it when it comes out and then we never hear about it again? Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. Even the launch of the Apple news app, that was a big deal when they did it. And I mean, that goes further back. How about the iBook store? After there was the lawsuit of the price fixing, I haven't heard them mention iBooks beyond, oh, we released it on Mac now. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. That, I mean, that was another one that completely disappeared. It's crazy how quick it goes with Apple. And, you know, with all these new hirings, hopefully they get people in the actual positions to get things produced and not necessarily producing new things but nurturing your existing products that aren't bad they just need some love right yeah just upkeep them and make them add slight even refreshes to them and if they have enough people they can be refreshing whole bunches of things all at once every year they don't have to just pick and choose certain ones they can have their whole offering each year have some sort of little uplift to it if they have enough software engineers to attack the problem. How about the home app? That's another one that's Oh my gosh, absolutely it still looks like it. crap. It still <laughs> looks like crap. It looks so bad. And I remember like when I when all this home automation stuff come, started coming out, I'm like, I need to get anything that has, supports HomeKit. I want to make sure it works with my phone. And then all of a sudden it was like Alexa came out and that thing does everything. And I'm like, forget HomeKit. I'm just buying anything that supports Alexa. I'll do it for my dots. Now you can actually do it from the app right on your phone, the Alexa app. So you don't even have to uh, have one of their, their things. You can just use your phone and do all this stuff. So, yeah, it was another one that never got any love or improvement over the years. Yeah, they made that whole HomeKit standard. And now we've gotten to the point where August just released a new version of their smart key lock and it doesn't even support home kit as a brand new offering so that's what point the home kit's gotten to yeah and kind of talking about services and streaming ideas so apple like they're proceeding full force for their own kind of implementation we don't know how much that's going to be a competitor to sling tv or something like that or it's going to be more of a Netflix original programming idea. We're definitely leaning towards that side of things. But with that, Disney, of course, is probably making the biggest news because they're impacting the entire industry because they have the content. It's much more important than being the provider. And they're going to create their own service in 2020, and they're going to take all of their Marvel and Star Wars and, of course, Disney and Pixar ideas and offerings from Netflix. So that's definitely going to hurt Netflix. There's no if ands or buts about that it's just how bad is it going to hurt them but then disney acquired fox and so in case you guys didn't know hulu was a collaboration between disney fox universal and all those different content companies and now it turns out that when they they disney had 30 percent, they acquired fox and fox owned 30 percent. so now disney owned 60 percent, and now they're in talks to acquire warner media's 10 percent which is going to be up for grabs after the AT&T acquisition of Time Warner. And so Disney could have 70% of Hulu, and that's, you know, an interesting, what is Disney going to do with Hulu? Is it kind of a platform extension for their Disney Anywhere service? Or is it going to force NBC and CBS, or I guess CBS is not part of it. They have their own no, it's just NBC service. Universal. Yes. It's NBC, yeah, NBC Universal, Universal. the other part, 30%. Are they going to pay... 
Disney to be on Hulu's platform, it's really interesting. Disney could go a number of ways with Hulu. Right. Well, at this point, does Hulu just does NBC Universal just sell out and leave the platform too, and just launch their own separate service like CBS did? Uh, and just do it, or one of the, I was just mentioning this to my twin brother, and he was saying, what if Disney's using Hulu to be able to do their non-family-friendly streaming stuff? So maybe the Disney service is only family-friendly stuff, and now they can put not necessarily family-friendly content on Hulu and have that uh, be another avenue so that they're not eating into this other Disney family-friendly service. But yeah, and like at, at that point where it's all Disney and Fox stuff, well, all the stuff that under the Disney umbrella, what's the point in NBC not just launching their own, getting 100% of the revenues, unless they don't want to put in the cost, but where they already have Comcast, they must have a certain infrastructure they could rely on to push this thing out on their own. And that introduces more streaming services because I like having a hundred different streaming services for any possible thing. Oh, I want to do this. That's six bucks. This is 12 bucks. That's another 12 bucks. Soon you're going to be paying way more than standalone TV could ever dream of costing you. Oh, right. And then now you got to go to 50 million different apps instead of having some universal thing. Because even that Apple TV thing still has (laughs) you shooting between different apps. It's not a unified guide like I wished it was, which would just take you into the content. No, you still have to go in all these separate stupid apps to launch everything. Because even Discovery, which owns Food Network, HGTV, all the Discovery Networks, they're supposedly going to be launching their own streaming service as well. So that's probably another 5 to $10 a month for whatever number of channels. Then you got CBS. Then you got... I mean, it's just going to start adding up. People always wanted a la carte choices where you choose, pick and choose what you wanted and not have to get the bundles that cable companies were offering. But it's going to be a heck of a lot more expensive that way. Plus, you then still have to pay for internet service on top of all that to be able to even stream this content. Right. And that's going to be probably your most expensive endeavor is making sure you have the bandwidth to be able to handle it and make sure you live in an area that supplies that potential bandwidth. Some people live in areas where they don't even have that choice. Right. And then at this point, will companies like Comcast and these other cable providers start actually enforcing their bandwidth limits and saying, well, you can only download this amount a month. So now now you're going to hit some kind of a limit. You're not even able to stream your television, maybe unless you're on uh, their service or you're streaming the Comcast NBC Universal service, because I believe net neutrality, that was all shot down. Right. That was all removed at this point. Yeah. I thought it they was. haven't looked at it again. They they try to appeal it, but it's still they voted three two in favor of getting rid of it. Yeah. So now we're going to have problems, especially if you have companies like Comcast, NBC putting out their own streaming service because, you know, they're going to give priority to their content over Hulu or over Disney or some other thing that they don't own. Yep. And I mean, once you think. Netflix, Hulu, HBO, CBS, HBO, Showtime, and then you add in the new DC platform, you have NBC platform, you have Disney. That's fun stuff. And then say you just wanted your live local channels, you're going to need to get one of uh, Sling TV or DirecTV now or YouTube Red or something like that. Right, yeah, because they shot down that other company that was rebroadcasting local TV networks and they got busted. I forget what that company's name was, but... Yeah, and it's just everything, everyone's out to make a buck on anything and everything. And so you're never going to find a deal anymore, and it's going to cost you a heck of a lot of money to get all this stuff. Yep, so luckily that's in the future. And really, I guess you have to say, I'm going to watch these few shows on Netflix for this month. And then next month, I'm going to switch over to HBO and cancel my Netflix and kind of bounce around so you're not just dropping loads of money every month oh right and you're not going to be sharing passwords because they're all cracking down on that going forward as well too uh netflix is starting to go into it's some insane amount of money that they're losing i thought it was in the order of like nine hundred thousand dollars a month that netflix was losing uh based on just password sharing i'm pretty sure that's what i read it was some insanely high amount of money 
that they're losing from these password sharing, people sharing passwords. I don't do that. I, I use my own. I pay for my own Netflix. Uh, and, but I guess there's, uh, this has become a huge issue for them. So now they're kind of developing software to do it. I believe we talked about this. And so it's just a matter of time before all these companies start implementing this kind of thing. And so you're not even going to get away with that. You're going to be paying for each and every one of these services that you want. Yep, so keep that in mind. <laughs> watch what you do want to watch now. But that's uh, that's pretty much the Apple Ideas, Apple Connections of the week. And so the App Store is generating plenty of its own news. And there's an app this week that we want to talk about. It's called Otter Voice Notes. And, you know, there's voice memo apps on the App Store. Those aren't anything new. You could use the default Apple Notes app. You have the voice recorder app. You have all that good stuff. But Otter Notes tries to distinguish itself by being really the most deluxe offering out there. You know, their app description says all these great stuff, just like any other one would. But actual use cases, this thing works extremely well, where you can focus on just a simple, I'm going to record this conversation, and it will give you a transcript of it. But you could also do group transcripts and group group calls for this. And kind of my favorite ability is just to have your old voice notes load it into the app, and it will transcribe it. I threw a couple 10-minute interviews from a con at it, and the trans the transcript was perfectly set for everything. I, I know this app's not the one that's mainly kind of focusing on the translation. You know, it uses kind of the built-in ideas, but still, the result is excellent. Yeah, I was really impressed. I don't tend to use a lot of these. I mean, the gold standard has always seems to have been uh, Dragon Anywhere and Dragon Dictation. That's the one I've always heard of on the PC. They do offer it on iOS as well. But this has some unique features that kind of really stand out, especially if you're someone who does take a lot of notes, like maybe you're a student or something. It does an, an excellent job of translating the voice into text, but then it also does these things where it immediately sets up like keywords and it has things so you can help you find these notes across like, say you have hundreds of these things you've recorded and taken down, to be able to search through them and just kind of catalog them and make them much more useful there's a lot of built-in smarts to this app that just kind of does a lot of this stuff for you and just instantly kind of sets it up to make it usable because otherwise i mean you can you could take all these notes and if you can't find the stuff that you took notes on later then or it's difficult to find stuff then they're not really useful you might as well have not even bothered but the fact that this thing can go out and do a lot of this kind of cataloging for you right out of the box for free well as part of your subscription uh is is pretty impressive yeah, the search probably is the best part because, like you said, if you have 50 notes and they were taken over the, you know, a couple of weeks of school or even the first quarter of school and you need to search through it for particular ideas, if it was just the voice audios like you've been recording in the past, you're not going to have a search. So to have that transcript and then also you can skim and read a transcript much quicker than you're going to be able to listen to it. And so that definitely helps. It seems like Evernote was kind of from the app store started in 2008 that was kind of oh this is going to be the thing this is going to be the thing and then it got acquired it got rebranded the heads of the company left and evernote's fallen by the wayside so to have that idea where you can create voice notes and still have them searchable accessible and interactive to add notes and different mix different voice clips from different team members into the same note really this this is pretty impressive and you get 600 minutes every month of recording so that's a lot of minutes really i mean say a class is about 60 minutes that's 10 classes and per month so school it's probably not going to work but business wise you probably have a good chance of it working per month for free well, even even if you uh, found that that wasn't enough, it's still very cost competitive compared to other offerings. So for the premium service, you pay $10 a month or $80 a year, and that gives you 6,000 minutes per month. Now, you compare that to, like, Dragon Anywhere, just as an example, and I don't know what, if they have a minute limit per month, but I know they do charge anywhere between $12.50 and $15 a month, depending on 
if you're pay, upfront paying for a full year or paying month to month. And so it definitely is cost competitive uh, when you compare it to other offerings. But uh, it's, it, the nice thing about this one is you can try it for free and just go ahead and use it and then only really have to pay if for some reason you're going to need more minutes for the month. Then you can order a month you can cancel it after a month or if you do use it all the time you have that option to save even more money by upfront paying for an entire year yeah and also if you do any kind of interviews or even a group discussion like say you had like a team meeting or whatever the app is intelligent enough to break down each person's text or voice into a separate section so you know person a speaks and then they stop speaking person b jumps in it now breaks the text up into these little blocks for each person. So if you're doing an interview, you can see where your questions are going to begin because it's all in these little text blocks. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. What I might do is uh, Pax East is coming up at the end of this month. I'm thinking I might try this out at Pax East just to record some of the interviews I do. Just because oftentimes I try to remember to take notes as soon as I leave the interview because I don't want to try to write things down. And I've tried to just record audio before and then going back and try to transcribe. That's a pain. And if it can do it all for me, where it's recording this while I'm just talking to them, that would be great. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go and see how how well it works right this might not have the most use cases but the use cases that it does have it absolutely excels at yep and so that's otter voice notes it's free and i think it's iphone only i believe you're right don't bring your ipad to an interview (laughs) you're like that guy (laughs) taking photos with their ipad yes right it's the same kind of thing (laughs) and so that means it's time for some new games and this week we're starting with the shape-shifting detective, which is relatively unique. It's not the first of its kind we've seen, but to get you up to speed, it's a choose-your-own-adventure game that uses actual real-world footage rather than artistic design. So we've seen this once before in The Late Shift. So essentially it's a movie filmed together and you get to pick the course of the proceedings. It's kind of like actually Black Mirror Bandersnatch on Netflix, but in its own kind of game compact version. And the story lets you essentially play as the shape-shifting detective where it doesn't dive too much into you being a shapeshifter at the outset. It's more about you being the detective where it introduces the case, the murder that you're going to investigate, the prime suspects, and then you're going to go essentially start with a casual conversation that turns into these interviews. And then you'll see that there's subtle versions of kind of like the mystical arts at play and then you'll start diving into that shape-shifting part of being the detective from just being a detective yeah so i mean it's all done in this full motion video where it almost feels like i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this it feels like you're in an interactive game of clue and so Mm -hmm. you're kind of going in and you go and jump from location to location and you're first off you start off as this nondescript person named Sam and then so you go and start interviewing these people and as you interview them you can go back to your room in this little guest house that you're staying in and you have a secret back door so you can go in and out without other people seeing you and you can shapeshift into one of these other people that you've already talked to to then go so like you might go interview them as you first and they give you some information and they might mention hey I know this person or I, I, I used to be dating this person and, and so now maybe you'll shapeshift into that person and see if they give you other information. So you'll go back and interview them again, and maybe the, there's a different course of interrogation you can do because they think you're this other person. They start telling you, like, hey, this guy was in here. He's going to catch us or something. I'm not giving you any details, by the way. This is all kind of made up. I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, but in fact, the game actually has multiple endings, and it randomly picks one. So you go in, and as you're making these choices, you'll see like two or three choices of dialogue or lines of questioning you can ask these people and you tap and choose one and then they'll respond to that but you won't always get to choose all of them so you might start working your way down the list but then it'll end and you don't get to choose some and i'm assuming that's because they kind of want to save some for other things so that way if you come in and play again that one might be available to you again and you can select it then the most curious part is there's a few questions where you can hit delete 
this little trash can next to it and not ask it. And then that starts you thinking like, wait a minute, am I not supposed to ask this question? Or if I ask this question, is something bad going to happen? I should probably ask this question. Or maybe they're going to get upset if I ask this question, but I really want to ask this question. And then so now you kind of have to weigh, do I ask it or do I delete it and not ask it? Is it better off not asking? And so you're just trying to figure out how to navigate through these text dialogues to ask the right questions to hopefully solve the murder mystery. Yeah, and I think that whole idea of deleting the questions is probably the most intriguing just because in all these type of games before, it's always kind of this choice or that choice, this choice or that choice. They've now presented you with a third option where staying silent actually can help. Like, there's the whole idea, well, what can this question lead to? But also, the question, the just the idea, if I don't ask, I stay silent, the person could keep talking or set them up into a different avenue. And so that's really interesting. But then, like you said, we don't want to spoil it because this is a really intriguing story. But the whole idea that you can catch people in lies by changing from a detective to somebody they find familiar... I mean, imagine how that would change police work. This would be an awesome TV show, to be honest, where <laughs> <Yeah>. you could... <laughs> I mean, procedurals are so boring at these times. I like this whole new mechanic of how people... Because then you're like, oh, remember when I told you that, when she's talking to the real person, and they're like, I never told you that. And so it sets up really interesting dynamics. But also, the when you get there, this is just an aside that's not necessarily part of the game. The chief wants you... He pretty much is sure who did it, but he doesn't have evidence to do it. And so it's essentially entrapment what he's doing, and it's not going to be admissible in a court of law of some of the evidence that he's going to find through these character testimonies or interview questions. But that's just an aside. Yeah, and so one of the things I kept on thinking while I'm playing through this, and I think it's spoiling me for all games, is... I'm thinking of the Walking Dead game, and all I can think of is when I'm talking to these people, and all I, I want a little dialogue box that says, they will remember that. Yeah. When I'm saying <laughs> these things to them, just because you're making these choices, I want to feel like it counts. But uh, the other thing that I just want to mention within the game, because this is really well produced and well made, and the, the acting, sometimes, sure, it's cheesy and campy, mm-hmm. but I think it's supposed to be at points. Yeah. And... Uh, the one thing that I thought was really nice was they have one of the things you can do, and it feels a little weird at first, and you can go and listen to a radio, but it's this really well-produced, feels like a morning time radio show that you'd hear in re- in real life, and like the two hosts are chit-chatting back and forth, and they're like these weird stories that happen, and they kind of sort of seem related, and other times they just seem like complete non-sequiturs that kind of go off, and they, they're totally different, but they're just interesting to listen. I found myself just sitting there listening to this radio completely and then waiting until it started repeating and then moving on to the next one just because I was pulled into these stories and the interesting news things that were happening in that as well. Yeah, that radio, it reminded me of Golf Club Wasteland where yeah, part yeah. of the game is just enjoying the radio of this post-apocalyptic world. This is just more of your average mundane morning news, but still it's really well done and it adds to the whole flavor and story that you are playing as the detective in this little small town and just kind of what can pop up. Yeah, yeah. If you would like any of these kind of full motion video type games, I think this has got, I mean, it's, there's some things that are definitely not kid friendly within this. So it's, I wouldn't recommend it for kids, but if you're uh, an adult and you like those kind of like full motion video games, I, there were a lot more of them when I was younger that they used to have uh, where they used like quick time videos for this kind of stuff. Uh, and I, it's just the story kind of pulls you right in. And the fact that you can replay it because it's going to be different uh, killer each time, uh, it just got a lot of replayability as well. Yeah, the only kind of detractor for me is just the jump cuts when you choose different things. Like, it seems like Telltale is feeding you along a path that they know that's more thought out. This game, it seems like it's, it doesn't, it gives you more choices than just a yes or no. So it has to predicate these different loops in the the film. Right. Well, I think it's because it's video, too, because they kind of have to load up a video and do it. There's right. only so no, much I, they I'm can just do. Saying, yeah. In terms of like a, 
user standpoint, you notice the cuts, where in Telltale it will kind of, you even see the saving button in the bottom left corner, but it shows like this long drawn out scene so that it can load these other pieces in. Right, yeah. I, it, I wish I could find a way to have it buffer a little bit better so it didn't feel like so rough uh, to kind of have a little bit smoother. But yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed it as well. Yeah, I understand the limitations. It's just, you know, you always want something smoother than that. Yep. And so that's the shape-shifting detective. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. If you like just good storytelling, regardless of anything else, you'll be right at home in this game. Yep, agreed. And then there's Typo Man, which is a nice change of pace. We've talked about plenty of platformers and puzzle platformers in particular on the podcast. God, that was a good piece. <laughs> I do love my alliteration. But <laughs> Typo Man changes it up by essentially letting you type out solutions to get through the world like for example you come across the gate and you have to roll the o into this n and now the switch turns on or later in the game now that simple word is gone and now you have a gate you have seven words and you have to unscramble them into a word that's a serviceable action for that gate and it turns out it's drop so now the gate will drop and then as you go the word puzzles are going to become more and more complex as you go through the world. So the core platformer idea is not going to be the most complex platformer because instead it focuses more on the word game. So if you like word games and platform games, you'll be right at home. And it's a really interesting combination. I wouldn't think to combine a word game with a platformer. Yeah, so even like this world that they created is just so inventive and creative. So you start off as this tiny little dot and you start moving around. Then all of a sudden you start picking up letters and then it forms into this body. And you're actually made out of the letters that make up hero. So you're a hero that actually is made out of the letters of hero. And so now you can walk around and you can pick up stuff and you can move letters. You can pick up the letters. You have to kind of like push the letters around or throw them around to get them near each other. And then once you walk up to a grouping of letters, you can grab onto them. And then it brings up this separate little dialogue where you can drag and reorder the letters to kind of try to create words and cause things to happen. And then even within the environment, you'll just kind of like, maybe you have to swing on a letter and then have it basically connect up to some other letters that will cause an action to happen. And then even like the creatures that come out to try to attack you, they'll be made out of letters. Like they might be the letters evil and or some other word that kind of represents what they are. And so it's just a really whole creative way they kind of put words together to kind of form parts of the world and the creatures and the objects and things in the world beyond just the puzzles, but then they tie directly into that puzzle. But even beyond the puzzle part, there is a whole platforming part. There'll be sections where you have to try to quickly run and then maybe interact with some letters and then quickly run some more. And so you'll still have some kind of like really platforming sections of it where it causes you to jump and run and do things beyond just these little word puzzles that you come up with. But it's it's nice to have that like ebb and flow as you kind of have these little kind of fast-paced sections and then it kind of slows down to give you a little rest where you're doing these, these puzzly parts and then it moves back into like maybe another little platforming section and kind of keeps on going through that little, those motions. Yeah, the game reminded me of Limbo or Feist or even Green Game Without a Name of just that whole you know, monochromatic, dark kind of scale. And then those sections where you're just walking along little puzzle and then you'll have this big enemy chase you down and then you have to kind of forget about the thoughts of it and quickly react. And then it goes through those ebbs and flows of contemplate, contemplative versus action-packed. And it's just really well balanced to keep you fully intrigued to want to keep going from section to section through this entire game. Yeah, the Limbo, that's immediately what I was feeling like, too. It reminded me a lot of Limbo. And one of the most impressive things of the whole game is that they're able to offer this 
for free, like on mobile. Like it, it was a paid game on, on other platforms, but they offer it for free on mobile. And you'll come in, like if you fail a puzzle, there are great checkpoints that always kind of like line you back up. And so because it's free, there are ads that come up and play uh, in order after every certain number of failures, you have to sit through an ad and then you can retry. Uh, but if you want to eliminate all the ads and then the, there's a whole hint system where you can get hints if you can't solve the puzzle. So you do have to have some kind of knowledge of the English language, but I wouldn't say it's that difficult. I bet my kids could figure this out easily as well. And my daughters are 11 and, and 9, so I think they could easily figure this out. But for only $1.99, you can unlock, you can remove, completely remove the ads. So now you can play through this entire game, have as many hints as you want, never have to sit through ads, and you just pay $1.99. I got kind of sick of the ads after a little bit because there were a couple of sections where I would die and I couldn't quite figure things out. And then finally I realized what I was doing, but I wasn't fast enough. I paid the buck ninety nine. It was no brainer. Like I'm not sitting through ads. I'm not wasting time. I can just play through, enjoy the game how it's meant to be enjoyed. And the fact that you only have to pay a dollar ninety nine to me seems like an insane deal. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you want to pay the ads or not. So the ads are mainly, or I think even always play once you die in whatever regard. So those are definitely going to come up. So if you want to avoid the ads, you can pay, but you don't have to. You can play this full entire game, which is a really well-made puzzle platformer game for free. And then the hints will occasionally help, though, like you said, this isn't going to be the most challenging puzzle idea. The word games, like if you're like a wordsmith or any type of word game fan, you're not going to have too big of a problem, like if you play Type Shift or something. But it's still worth kind of just telling this developer what a great job he did in creating this game right and so i just looked it up and on steam it costs ten dollars so you're getting the same Dang. game that was on steam for ten dollars for two dollars or free if you don't mind sitting through the ads so it's up to you i think it's i mean the type of thing you definitely should wholeheartedly definitely give it a try there's no reason not to try this game but i think if you enjoy it and maybe the ads start to get a little frustrating it's only a dollar 99 to get rid of them and it's well worth it yep completely agree and that's typo man it's free it's universal and then there's avo which is short for avocado and this is going back kind of into the shape-shifting detective and it's more like this live action game where they've pre-recorded these clips with this uh, scientist actress, and she's has created this little sentient avocado. It has these little drawn-on little hands and legs and eyes, and all you get to do, or all you have to do, is drag on the screen to direct the avocado throughout the world, and you're going to be given different tasks. So the basic core idea is that you collect beans that are along the pathway, and then each chapter is going to introduce different objectives. Like you need to collect a few items to use into this machine to power the apartment. And it's going to build upon that into more and more kind of complex science experiments. And all of it is done with this live action connection with the actress kind of interacting with this essentially CGI avocado that you get to control. Yeah, I mean, this is adorably cute. I mean, it feels like the type of thing you'd either have watched like an interactive version of a, a little science show you would have watched on PBS or maybe like it was an exhibit at like a, a science museum that you went to like with your kids. I mean, adults, it's it's not going to challenge adults. This is really made for kids. I mean, kids are going to... I had my 11-year-old play and she, she thought it was fun. I mean, it's not challenging but it, for an 11-year-old, but it was she had fun playing through because... You can basically drag anywhere in this world, and the avocado is going to move around wherever you want. And your whole this girl Billy uh, is giving you like these various things to go find within her lab. So she has this whole lab, and it, she's like fighting crime and uh, trying to like basically come up with a way to create her own power. She creates like a teleportation thing, and so you, you're kind of doing these little missions for her. it. Is pretty basic where you're 
dragging your finger to, to draw a path for the avocado to run and pick up those beans and find these various items. In each of the levels, there's also uh, some hidden objects to go and find. Uh, so as you're walking around, you'll stumble upon these other little bonus items, and then they'll trigger maybe like an extra little video or something else that you can watch based on, on those little uh, bonus items that you find. So there's other things to go and find other than just collect the beans and the items that she has on her little checklist. She usually needs some items in order to finish creating some invention or something. Uh, and then you just play through. So there's a prologue that you get to play through. And as soon as you play through that prologue, you're given basically 2,000 beans. Each of the episodes costs 1,000 beans to unlock. So you can unlock the second and third episodes for free, uh, just with those free beans that they gave you. And I would say the episodes took maybe 10 minutes, if that, to play through. I don't know. Yeah, Do you remember? Kind. That, that's those kind. Those are more like five episodes oh, or five minutes. Five minutes? Okay. So maybe like five minutes to play through. I mean, it's fairly quick and easy. Uh, I This is definitely geared more towards kids, but it is it's a very cute concept that I could see being extended to do more complex puzzles, and I think it would be appeal to adults if you were able to create something a little more complex and a little more difficult uh, as well. I, I do love the technology that's in play in this, just the way the camera angle changes once the avocado reaches a certain point on the path, so not even the end of the line you drew, so then it gives you a new kind of path drawing potential. And... I could see a bunch of different versions of this. But again, this is made for kids. It's not challenging at all. You're kind of, if you're over 10, you're probably going through the motions of the idea. But that doesn't take away from what they've created and that live action CGI character that is fully controllable. So you have those three kind of moving pieces that they acted it all out. They then positioned the character so that the actor can interact with anywhere a player actually changes it. So it's not like predestination moves because they're not necessarily sure where you're going to go, but they're ready when you get to certain points. So it kind of even takes shape-shifting detective a little bit further, and I could see a lot of ways to build upon the mechanics they've created into different storylines that are potentially more challenging because there's no real roadblocks to your avocado doing anything there's nothing to really think or contemplate as you're going through the game so i it it feels like a tech demo but it also i think little kids will super enjoy what is included right yeah and as far as uh, i i mean the acting is is fun i mean she does a great job of keeping her eye, line of eyesight, like, with the avocado. Because yeah. oftentimes when you're acting with, like, a, a CGI thing, you could tell they're looking in the wrong place. No, they did a really good job of filming this to have, like, the eyesight line up with things, and it feels like she really is talking to this avocado, and it feels like she's actually there with the thing. Uh, it doesn't feel super faked out. I mean, obviously it's kind of cheesy at points, but it's supposed to be fun for kids and and it it just feels like something you would like I said before something you'd watch on TV. It feels like that kind of show that you'd see your kid you'd sit down and your kids would watch and they'd love it. But now they get to kind of interact with it. As far as the um, I did run into one issue while I was playing where uh, on my first gen iPad Pro uh, I it wouldn't let me down, so I purchased the two second and third episode with the beans and then wouldn't actually download the content it just kept on looping and looping and looping so i contacted the developer and they have a fix already for this it's actually in review with apple and that's going to be rolling out and also with that update they're also rolling out so that anything you purchase on uh, one of your devices will get synced over to your other devices as well. And so as far as like the beans go, I told you you can get 2,000 beans just for finishing the prologue. There are a total of six episodes that cost 1,000 beans, and then there's an additional little epilogue which costs 250 beans. So for in-app purchases, they have uh, you can buy a thousand beans for two dollars, or you can buy four thousand beans for six dollars, which saves you twenty five percent. 
you can basically unlock, you could grind away and keep on replaying uh, levels and just pick up beans and eventually get your beans that you need to unlock the episodes. It'll take you a while. I mean, I played through episodes two and three, and then my daughter played through episodes two and three. By the end of those, we had about 500 beans. So it, it'll take you a number of playthroughs just to get to unlock an additional episode. But even if you bought just a couple of those 1,000 bean packs, you probably could have enough beans to unlock most of the episodes and grind away for like the last couple. So I would say you're if you wanted everything and didn't want to have to keep on replaying, although kids love to replay, so a very young child would happily replay over and over and over again. Uh, but probably like it would cost you about four dollars to to unlock all the content. I would say if you don't want to spend a lot of time uh, grinding away. Yeah, my only kind of hesitation with that is just it felt like it was putting a carrot in front of the horse because it didn't feel necessarily attainable. Like that grind is significant to get the full like you need essentially eight thousand beans to play through the whole game, and you're given two thousand, and you play the first two level, and now you have like a hundred beans or something you, you just through one playthrough, even collecting all of the beans. So that just felt like. Especially for little kids, I think there's the idea that they can replay, but there's also the idea that they'll get frustrated to not being able to advance, and then it incentivizes the parents to do it. It just felt manipulative. I I can see, I can see, we, I can see your point. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It, to me, I don't know. I my kids are kind of at the age where they're they're not going to probably replay this over and over and over again. But I could definitely see where they were younger, they would just keep on replaying this. There also was a mode where you can have uh, an AR setup where you can have this avocado kind of just in your house and you can kind of interact with it and move it around. Uh, and then it looked like they were going to have something where you could use the beans to purchase uh, like glasses and yeah, other hats and accessories for the avocado as well. But I, this is definitely, well, this is too young for us this Playdio, the company that makes it is definitely one i'm going to keep an eye on just for i'm hoping that they take this technology even further and it, this seems to be very well reviewed on the app store so i'm hoping that they can take whatever success they have from this and build something bigger and maybe more complex to appeal to older audiences as well yeah that's my hope too because what they have created in terms of just a software standpoint, is really outstanding. Yep. And so that's Avo. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Birdcage 2. We talked about the first Birdcage, and the sequel does a lot of the same thing. So if you're unfamiliar, the game takes the room formula and kind of boils it down and waters it down to very structured, level-based format where there's specific kind of 3D pieces to interact with and open up to finally unlock these bird cages, it's kind of like what the Faraway series has done with The Witness, where The Witness is this open-world kind of 3D exploration idea, and Faraway turns it into, let's go into these specific pathways to complete this idea, but the gameplay mechanics are the same. And so Birdcage 2, it's not revolutionary. It's not really that different from the original. They've kind of fine-tune the mechanics, improve the 3D rendering a little bit, and change the IAP system so there's more level packs. You get two level packs for free, and there's all these additional birds to free from bird cages in the other level packs. Yeah, I mean, it feels like an extension of the original game. I The one thing I don't remember from the original game, did they have the whole thing with the wand in the first no. one? No, yeah, wand is new. Yeah, so they basically have these, like, shiny... Uh, areas of levels. Yeah, instead of that lens that you can use in the room oh, to that's right. view into. Yeah, 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 yeah. So pretty much, yeah, they're they're taking from the room. But yeah, so although, so you basically have this wand, and then there's like these shiny areas. And if you zoom in on them, you can cast a spell by drawing a certain shape. Although the shape never seemed to to change. Right. I don't know. It's a stab I, arrow. <laughs> it was just like a V, an upside down V. Uh, and I wish they would have different shapes for you to draw, but it just seemed to always be that upside down V. Uh, and 
I don't know. It, to me, it, it's just too watered down from the room. Like, I prefer something more challenging from the room. It's nice it, it, maybe for a younger audience or someone who doesn't want to commit to, uh, like, a longer experience like the room and just wants, like, a, a smaller, more level-based quick in, quick out, play it uh, when they have a little couple of time, a little bit of time. Uh, it, the levels just seem really, really repetitive. There's only so much you can do for that same standalone cage and the same sets of, like, turning things and buttons and things. I mean, I don't know. It, to me, it just got repetitive pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I, I thought it was okay, but it just they didn't take it to that next level for for the sequel. Right. This That's why we wanted to mention it. This is just kind of by-the-book operation of let's make more levels, slap a two on it, and maybe we can make additional money. There's no ingenuity to the game. There's no personality to the game. You're kind of just going through the motions when you play it. If anything, if you like Avo, I think Birdcage 2 is a perfect kind of building puzzle idea but beyond that i i don't really see a place for it but if you do give it a try since it's a free download do yourself a favor and dive into the room series and see what this kind of gameplay could lead to you also could play the house of da vinci which builds upon what the room does and has a whole different storyline there's a lot of really good versions of this idea and this can hopefully just kind of uh get your appetite built for a more meaty game right yeah yeah i agree this is this is like a good baby step into the into this puzzly puzzle box genre of games and then you should progress to that next level beyond this this is really kind of just get your toes wet and then dive into one of the the ones that's much meatier yep so that's birdcage 2 it's free it's universal and then one last one i want to mention because i love me my digital board games uh, Digidiced is back, and they're the ones that brought us Patchwork and uh, Terra Mystica, Stockpile, Isle of Sky, and so many more games. But Patchwork is one of my hands-down absolute favorites uh, for digital board games. And now they've come out with the Castles of Burgundy. And this is a amazing port. Like, I've never played the physical version, but... This is such a good setup and well-produced game, but it's based on, it basically takes the award-winning 2012 uh, tile placement game by designer Stefan Feld, uh, and it's a, it's set during the 15th century in Burgundy region of France, which I guess you could have guessed by the castles of Burgundy, unless you thought they were all red castles or something. But uh, players are take basically take on the role of like an aristocrat, and you're trying to build out your land with various settlements and castles, and over the course of five phases consisting of five rounds each, so basically you have a total of 25 turns, you're basically rolling dice, purchasing tiles, and kind of placing them on your own little player board uh, to kind of build out your land. And those tiles are of varying types, and each of those types has a certain color, and your board is broken up into groupings of those colors. And that can be randomized, or you can go with like a standard set. And by filling out either a grouping of those tile of the certain colors of tiles or all of a certain color tile on your board you get various bonus points and plus those various tiles do different things so the building tiles might let you then when you play one on your board you can now pick additional tiles or it lets you play an additional tile uh, or you can get these yellow knowledge tiles which are there's a certain number of them you can have total and those give you kind of special bonuses which help to like mitigate your dice roll so now maybe like for like so the each of the tile spots on your board has a certain die number on it so in order to play a tile on your board you have to have a one of your two dice for each of your turns you kind of spend those dice to place tiles or take one of your actions so you can either choose one of your tiles and place it on a spot on your board matching that number that's on the die, or you can use one of these mitigating knowledge tiles or a worker to kind of go one up or one down or maybe more than that up or down from that number on the tile uh, on the die to place your tile. 
So the whole goal is to kind of just rake up uh, victory points as you go. And there's so many avenues for strategy, whether you're trying to fill out those certain groupings of tiles or collect certain tiles, certain ones of those knowledge tiles to kind of help you go further with each one of your uh, with each one of your placements. Or you can get these other tiles that give you bonuses for having certain types of buildings on your on your board. So there's all different ways, uh, different avenues that you can kind of plan and strategize because you don't know which tiles are going to come out each round. You don't know which what you're going to roll, obviously. And so you're kind of competing for these tiles with the other players. So you're hoping that they don't purchase something before you purchase it, and they and they they're not holding on to something you need. And so it's kind of this whole give and take and constantly having to change and rechange your strategy based on what tiles get picked and chosen. But you always have ways to mitigate those dice rolls. So it never feels like it's all just based on the luck of the roll. There's always some kind of strategical element that you can do uh, and choose a different action for your turn based on what you roll. And so... This one I have been playing so much of, and it's become quickly become one of my favorite digital board games, just because it is so quick and easy to just play a, a whole game in like 20 minutes against an AI player. And so what would you say, like, you talked about a bunch of digital board games. If this was like one feature this game does differently or one strategy concept, what do you think that would be like the big selling point? I think the big selling point is that there's so many ways to, to so many strategies. You're not like tied to a single strategy. Like patchwork, you're, you're somewhat limited in the moves you can make. So this is almost like the next level because there's so many choices to make on your turn each time because you can there's so many options of do I purchase tiles? Do I kind of build up my workers so maybe on the next turn I can get the tile I really want? Or do I have to uh, try to grab this tile now because I think someone's going to take it if I don't take it? So there's so many things to kind of strategize on each and every turn that there's just, there's always something that you can do or recover from if you make a wrong choice or someone takes the thing you want. So the, I feel like this has so many choices, but it never felt overwhelming. You're kind of just always have options. Awesome. So that's the Castles of Burgundy. It's $8.99. It's universal. And I think that's everything for episode 93. Yep. That's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.